as we look into the Word today, we're going to spend one more week talking about Cain. If you weren't with us last week, we spent last Sunday talking about primarily Cain, but Cain and Abel, and, uh, and learning some, some, I think, just life-changing stuff from them. And last week, as we looked into Genesis 4, and we're going to go back to Genesis 4 again, um, we, we found out about how Cain killed his brother Abel, and that um, that story revealed something really important to us. It revealed to us that there is a proper way to come to God. And that we don't make up the rules on how we come to God. And that, that that's really the message that God was trying to teach to Cain. That there's certain rules that he has in place and Cain did it wrong. And, and God said, now get it right. But Cain refused because, you know, we think he's saying, but I want to do it my way. And that's kind of the human way. It's surely the American way of doing it his way. But what we found in there is that God does have a certain way to come to him. And that the interesting thing is, is that he's the one who sets the rules for how we're supposed to do that. That we don't get to do that. That there's all kinds of nice sounding religions, philosophies in the world, but they don't come to God in God's terms. And if you don't come to God in God's terms, you don't come to God. And Cain found that out. So we learned that last week, and, and we saw, as, as we looked at that, we saw the difference between Abel bringing a sacrifice and Cain bringing an offering. And that, um, that the way God wants us to come to him is that we come to him through the blood of Christ. And that although Abel didn't really understand that, that in essence he was looking forward to the sacrifice that would eventually be given in the sacrifice of Christ. And that God was trying to, in this embryonic fashion, begin to unveil the very beginning of his idea of sacrifice for sin. And so we saw that as we looked at, at Cain and Abel last week. And, and if you want more about that, just go to the website and our podcast and download it and, and get part one of this message if you're interested. Now today, what I want us to do is I want us to think about Cain again um, because his story speaks to something that I think um, is really pertinent to all of our lives. Um, and this is what we're going to find. We're going to look at the text in a minute, but this is what we're going to find in a nutshell. And I want to explain it to you so that you can look for it as we read the text. What we find in the life of Cain, what we're going to look at today, is that number one, Cain missed the mark. He blew it, right? He brought the wrong thing and, and it, was, it was wrong. He made a mistake. No big deal. Cain made a mistake. He didn't do things the way God wanted. Then um, he received some correction from God. God said, Cain, you didn't do it right, but you, I want you to do it right. And so he, did, he made a mistake. He received correction from God. And then he responded improperly to God's correction. And that's what we're going to really think about today. We're going to talk about this three-part pattern, but especially we're going to focus on that last part. How do we respond to the correction of God? So, you know, one thing I've learned is that mistakes are part of life, right? And you know what I've tried to do in my life? I really honestly focus on trying to do this. I try to learn from other people's mistakes. Just think how much difficulty we can avoid if we learn to learn from other people's mistakes. And so today I'm hoping we can learn from Cain's mistake so that we don't have to make the same mistake. Make sense? Grab your Bible. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to read verses 3 through 8. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 3. Shouldn't have to give you too long to turn to that one, should I? Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 3, says this. Same... Part of the same text we read last week. It says, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. 
Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Let's look at those three points that we, that we talked about right before we read the text. The first one is this, that Cain missed the mark, that he, he didn't do what he was supposed to do. He comes and he has an offering, it says, of the fruit of the ground, correct? He gives, we said, maybe nuts or fruits or vegetables, whatever. He comes with an offering of the fruit of the ground and he offers it to the Lord and it said, and God wasn't um, pleased with that. It's not what God wanted um, because God, as we looked last week, wanted a, a sacrifice and not an offering. And, but Cain didn't understand that at the time and, and, and in the beginning and he just did something and he just simply had made a mistake. And, you know, something, friends, that's not very unusual. Um, one thing we have to learn to do in our lives is admit the fact that we make mistakes. One of our biggest problems is we never admit that we make mistakes and that we never get better because of, through our mistakes and, and we never fail forward. That's what we're supposed to do. We all fail, but let's learn to fail forward. Let's grow through our mistakes. So he makes a mistake and, and we all make mistakes. And matter of fact, Scripture says it like this, in case you think you're one of the few who doesn't make mistakes. Scripture kind of hems us all in here and says, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't say most of us have. It says we've all, we're all like Cain in the sense that we all make mistakes, we all sin and come short of the glory of God. Making mistakes or missing the mark is simply um, part of life. And when I was thinking about this, this text and I was going through this in my study this week, I was reminded of a situation that happened to me just this week on how I missed the mark. And I really felt compelled to the Lord to share the story with you, to show that, you know, we all make mistakes. This week I had to go to a meeting down in Milwaukee and it was with a bunch of um, other pastors and, and business leaders in the Milwaukee metro area working together on a, on a, uh, a corporate event that, uh, for the kingdom advancement that we're trying to work on. And, and I was at that meeting and when I was there, my direct overseer, who would be my superintendent, um, was at the meeting also. Uh, his name is Larry. And he was at the meeting and he's basically my boss. The way the, our Assemblies of God works is I'm the pastor of this church and we have a board that we work in conjunction with, but my real boss is my superintendent. And he's the guy that if I mess up, uh, he's the guy who, uh, who reels me in and then slaps me if I need it. Okay? And so, so I'm a man under authority. And so I have a boss, somebody who, over, who overlooks a spiritual boss that oversees what I do. Well, in the course of that time at that meeting, um, I'm standing there talking to him. He had walked up to me, began to talk to me, and he brought up a situation because I'm a, a presbyter. I'm, one of the, le- I'm, the, I'm the, the leader of the churches of this part of Wisconsin. I'm the guy who oversees them. He's, you know, he's over me, and then I look at the business of these churches. And he brought up a, a situation of a church in my, under, under my section that we had had to deal with. And uh, a church that was not a good situation, and a situation where we as a district had to come in and ask the pastor to resign his position, basically kicked him out of the church and said, you're the reason the church is having problems. And we began to talk about this situation. And, and there was nothing wrong with talking about it because in that capacity, him and I have worked together in a situation. And so we weren't necessarily gossiping. We weren't doing anything wrong. We were talking about a situation that both of us had a reason to talk about. But in the course of the situation, as we're talking about it, um, I made some unkind remarks about what had gone on in that situation with the pastor. And I, about this, this, this pastor in general, I, you know, I, I kind of crossed the line, I felt like, from 
from just making observations and talking about the situation to getting a little personal about it. And I, and I made some comments that weren't really right. And as soon as I made those comments, um, I felt uneasy. I felt uncomfortable in, in the situation. And again, we're discussing this. And he didn't re- look like he felt uncomfortable in my comments. And, and I felt a little uneasy. And, and, and I began as we're talking, as he walked away, I just felt disappointed. I felt disappointed in me. Because I'm thinking, you know, Mark, you should know better. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't have said that. That need, didn't need to be said. And I, I was thinking about it. And, and as I sat there, I really would say the way I really felt is I felt corrected by God. I felt like the voice of the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and saying, Mark, you're in a line. You shouldn't have said what you said. And it bothered me so much that later on when, when uh, we were gone, I, I grabbed my phone and I, and I called my superintendent back up and I said, you know what, we had this conversation and we talked about this and, and, I, and I said this and he, this is honestly what he said. He goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. He goes, you didn't say anything wrong. And I said, but I did. And he goes, well, if you did, I forgive you, but I don't even know what you're talking about. And uh, he goes, I didn't think you said anything wrong. I said, but the matter is, I felt like I said something wrong. And the Holy Spirit convinced me and corrected me and showed me that I had, I had I'd crossed the line, even though it could have easily been explained away. I could have justified it because we're talking about business. And I felt like the Holy Spirit saying, Mark, you were out of line in what you said. And so I picked up the phone and I, and I asked for his for forgiveness because he was the only one involved in the situation. And, and he said, oh, I gladly... Um, forgive you? He said, I just don't even know why. <laughs> I just, so go ahead, you're forgiven. And I went about my day. And here's the point of that. As a child of God, as I walk through my daily life and doing just everyday normal stuff, like you do every single day of your life, when I messed up, I felt the correcting hand of God just inside of me. Even the person I interacted with, he didn't, he didn't recognize it, he didn't feel it. God wasn't correcting him. God was correcting me. And I knew God wasn't pleased with my actions. I just knew it. And so I had to do something about it. Friends, that's the story of Cain. That's what Cain experienced. Grab your Bible again and look at verses 6 and 7. That's really what's going on here. Cain has given this offering and it's not acceptable to the Lord. And in verse 6, what happens is it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. The Lord comes to Cain, and he points out his errors, and he he encourages him and says, Listen, make it right, Cain. You can do the right thing. It doesn't say in the text, but we can surely assume that God said how to make it right, because God's speaking to him. And God says, Cain, just do it right, and if you do it right, everything's going to work out all right. What was going on? God was correcting him. Now, we don't necessarily get God in the same way, walking up to us and saying, Mark, you blew it here, that's going to go on. But it's just as real. Because the second I was done with that conversation this week, I felt it. I felt the correcting hand or voice of God say to me, you shouldn't have said that. And I knew I was being corrected just as real as Cain was being corrected by God. Friends, when we mess up in love, in love, understand this, in love, the Lord corrects us. 
no place in the Bible is this more clearly revealed and explained than when the author of Hebrews writes about it. Take your Bible and turn to your New Testament, to the book of Hebrews, kind of near the back. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12. A section that you ought to have highlighted in your Bible. You know, some of you are brand new to this Christian walk and you got this, you went out and you bought yourself a nice Bible or somebody gave you one. And you say, that's just beautiful and it sits on the counter. You know what my challenge to you to do is? As you're reading, God speaks to you, just take an outline, an underliner or a pen and just write, write in it, underline things in it. Do things so you can make that your own. That, that, that word becomes accessible to you. So many times when I'll be thinking or praying, I'll think, exactly where is that text? And I'll remember, oh wait, it's, 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 it's on the left side of the page and it's, it's highlighted in, in yellow. And I think it's this place or this place and I go to it and I find the highlighted in yellow spot and I go, there it is. And so... Uh, Allow God's word to be your word. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's look at verses all the way from 4 to 11 because it's dealing with this exact topic of the Lord like he came to Cain giving discipline and correction. It says in verse 4, it says, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood in your striving against sin. And that's true, isn't it? We've not died as we're trying to, trying to resist sinning. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you, my sons, which says this, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with, with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness." All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. I like the way he writes that. It seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Let's stop right there. Look what it says here. It says, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. You know, he uses the illustration of of a father raising a child. And all of you who are parents understand this, that because of love, you discipline your children. I have not been a parent yet who enjoys disciplining their children. Matter of fact, as we're at the Sockville Gun Club shooting, you know, shooting guns at things, the conversation I had with one mom was about disciplining children and how we do that. It's such a big part of our lives that even sitting, sitting there d- doing something totally different, the conversation came around to how do we discipline our children? And discipline is an outflow of love. That God loves us so much, as a parent loves his child so much, that he disciplines us because he wants us to be better. And it's interesting, it says here that in verse 7, that his discipline reveals something about our relationship to God. It reveals that we are legitimate, that we are really adopted as children. You know, one of the joys that I had this week, a joy, understand me, that I had this week, is that when I messed up, I felt the reproving voice of God. 
Because it proves something to me. It proved that I am adopted as a child of my heavenly Father. That I'm not illegitimate. That I'm not disconnected. That I'm not an orphan. That I'm a child of God. And that's what he says. Discipline proves that we are children of God. And he says he disciplines us in verse 10 of that text so that we will become something. That we will become holy. That we'll become like Jesus is another way of saying it. He disciplines us to make us better. So he loves us so much that we're his children that he disciplines us. He says, Mark, that's not right. Why does he do that? Because he wants to make sure that the next time I'm in that circumstance and the opportunity arises to say the same kind of thing that instantly in my mind the Holy Spirit says, Mark, you don't want to have to make the phone call again, do you? Because it's unpleasant. I like the way he says that. Sin, discipline is not pleasant. You know, disciplining, being disciplined by God is not fun. It says in verse 11. But it has a purpose to make us better, to make us holy. Friends, I want us to grasp today the kind of attention that God pays to you. I want this concept of the discipline of God to reveal something to you today in case you're struggling with this. You think that God doesn't really care. I want you to think about the kind of attention that God pays you, that He really is interested and involved in your life. So interested and involved that you can have a conversation with somebody and you say a remark that the other person doesn't even think is wrong and you say it and the Spirit of God speaks to you and says, Mark, I don't like that. He is that interested in that invested and involved in your life. He wants you to succeed. He cares for you. He cares so much for you that he corrects you. You know what? Tell the person next to you, say, you know what? God loves me so much, he corrects me. Go on, tell them that. Some of you don't believe, they have never believed that before. You looked at the correction of God as something as God being mean because maybe you had a, a very difficult parent, a very difficult aunt or uncle, a very difficult teacher, and when they disciplined you, it was out of hate and out of anger. And they really didn't discipline you, they really punished you. And there's a big difference between punishment and discipline. They punished you, and you have received the correction of God, not as what it is, a gift from God because He loves you, but you've looked at it as something that it's not, as God is angry with you and He's mean. God's not any of those things. God loves you. And He disciplines you. So you know what, friends? What do we see? We all mess up. And we all are corrected by God. Now understand something. Here's where the key comes in. Here's where this whole thing comes down to the point that we need to really grasp it and learn from it today. It's this point. That it's our response to God's correction that makes all the difference in our life. We all mess up, right? And we all will receive correction if we're children of God because, we're, because we are His children. We're legitimate. So we're all messed up and we'll all receive correction. But it is our response to God's correction that will make all the difference in our lives. Let's consider, first of all, Cain's wrong response. This is the way we shouldn't do it. If you're looking for a model um, to not follow, <laughs> this is the model to not follow. You know what he did when God corrected him. And God comes to him and speaks to him and corrects him. What does he do? He becomes angry, it says. It says his countenance fell. In other words, he's maybe depressed or upset. and He went from smiling to frowning. His countenance falls. He refuses to change. And in his anger, after he's talked to his brother about it, it says, and he talked to Abel. And it says, period, and then they went out in the field 
and he rises up against Abel and he kills his brother. So that was his response to the correction of God. God warned him. God told him. And first of all, he encourages him. He says, Cain, if you do right, your countenance is going to be lifted up and everything's going to go okay. But he says, if you don't do well, sin will destroy you. And look at verse 7 of Genesis chapter 4 because if there's ever a verse that ought to, that ought to get our attention and, and want to make us make sure we walk right, it's verse 7. It says, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, look at this incredible picture here, friends. God's the one who understands reality. He's the one who understands the unseen world as good as the seen world. And he's talking to us here about the unseen world, the world of the Spirit. And he says this about the world of the Spirit. He says, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. He shows us a picture of what's really going on. He says, sin is sitting at the door. Another place he said it's like a roaring lion. Seeking who he may devour. Sin is sitting at that door. And it's wanting to destroy you. But Cain, what's he do? With this incredible warning from God, he rejects God's correction. And what's the outcome? Sin wins. And Cain loses. He kills his brother. That was no victory. And verse 16 of the text shows the thing that I think is the greatest illustration of loss that Cain ever could have received. After it goes through what happens in verse 16, it says this in chapter 4, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. That he lost out, even lost out with God. And it said, God said, now you've got to go. And he leaves the presence of the God. Understand this today, church. Write this down and somehow in your heart, write it down in your back of your Bible. It's this. It's our response to the correction of God that either enables or disables sin's ability to master you. The thing that will determine from that text, the thing that says it determines whether or not sin will master us or we will master sin, the thing that will enable or disable sin's ability to master us is our response to the correction of God. If we respond properly to God's correction, then sin loses its entry point into your life. When you blow it, and we all blow it, what happens in essence is we open up an entry point. And Satan has an ability now. He's crouching. He's looking for that attack point in our life. There's a, a, a hole in our armor, in essence. And sin's looking for that. If we respond properly to God's correction, sin loses its entry point into our lives. That's what God is saying. But if we respond improperly to God's correction, then sin gains an entry point into our lives. That's what the Lord's trying to explain to Cain. And Cain's an example of one who left the door open and sin entered in. And he kills his brother as a result, and God kicks him out of his presence. Friends, when I, kill, when I called Larry and asked him to forgive me, do you think that was fun and easy? you think it was fun to grab my phone, call my boss, and say, by the way, Larry, I, ask you, I need you to forgive me? No, I felt stupid. I, was, I didn't want to do it. But I did it because I had to. But you know what happened when you do that? You close the door on the entry point to sin into your life. Satan's in your corner whispering, you don't have to do that. You didn't do anything wrong. You're just fine. Everybody talks like that. That was no big deal. He didn't even notice it. But you know what? 
God wanted to close the entry point and the Holy Spirit saying, just pick up the phone and make the call. Friends, aligning with God brings us into or under His protection. It hides us behind the shield of faith and as Satan shoots fiery darts at us, we are safe behind the shield of faith. It keeps us in safety and keeps sin from gaining access into our lives, from getting a hook into our lives that he can then pull later. And when Cain, because of prideful stubbornness, and it's exactly the reason why, because of prideful stubbornness, he refused to obey God's correction, he let Satan, a door wide open for Satan, and he let Satan win. And friends, we've got to understand something. On your own, you're no match for Satan. You open up the door and you say, come on, baby, let's go. Guess what? You're going to lose every time. Because he's a whole lot bigger and a whole lot stronger. That's why God says we hide behind the shield of faith. That we're, we're hidden with Christ in God. We're in a safe place when we're with him. And part of the way we stay connected and behind him and protected is that when the Lord corrects us, we say, okay, Lord, I, uh, I want to do whatever I got to do to make it right. So Cain responded wrongly. But now for us, for our sakes, let's consider what a right response would look like. And as I was thinking about that, trying to say, God, how would I best describe the condition of a right response? Because I can't take every illustration of every situation that you may ever encounter in your life and say, if this happens, respond like that. If that happens, respond like this. That would be impossible. But I said, God, how can I most accurately describe what is the right response? And I really feel like this would be the words that would describe in all cases, a right response, and it's this. Humble repentance. The right response is humble repentance. When we feel the correction of God, we have a choice to make, every single one of us. I had a choice to make. Cain had a choice to make. You have a choice to make. Do I resist and justify myself in, in prideful stubbornness, or do I repent? Repentance simply means changing direction. Understanding you're wrong, now going in the right way. And friends, understand this. The key to determining which one you will choose is humility. The key that's going to determine if you will make the right church choice or the wrong choice is being humble. Because humility is a condition of the heart that recognizes that God is supreme, that everything I am and everything I have flows from Him, and I'm not supreme. And therefore, when I hear his correction, I hear his voice. I do not justify myself and say, but, but, but. I humble myself and say, okay, God, let me put myself aside and choose to line up with God. That God is saying, go this way, Cain. Go this way, Mark. And I choose, instead of saying, but, 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 and coming contrary to it, I choose to line up in humility and say, I am not always right. God is always right. And in humility, in repentance, I line up with God. And friends, Cain did not do that, but we must. And I think, to illustrate that, one of the greatest biblical examples, and there's many, of people who followed after God, who got this right, who, who in humility repented, in humility received the correction of God, they did something wrong, they received the correction of God, and they chose to submit themselves in humility to God and get better. One of the greatest examples I see in Scripture is a man named Job. And some of you are familiar with him. 
what happened with him. Here's this godly guy. Godly man serves the Lord. Does sacrifices even for his children every year in case they've done something wrong. He walks with God. He's walking with God. Matter of fact, he's doing so good walking with God that we don't, we don't really understand this, but somehow there's a conversation between God and Satan in the heavenlies. And Satan says, hey, you know what? The only reason Job serves you is because you always bless him. Look at all you've done for him. If you didn't bless him the way you bless him, he'd curse your name. And God says, no, he wouldn't. And Satan says, let me prove it. God says, go ahead. And he begins to, to test Job the enemy comes into his life and he, he destroys all his property. He destroys his children. He destroys all his cattle. He destroys his health. Matter of fact, at, at the, the peak of, of the bad, we see Job sitting on a pile of ashes with a broken piece of pottery crape, scraping the, the oozing sores from his body. And his friends and his wife are around telling him, you know, well, you must have really messed up. And that's what they did. And Job gets angry with God. And you know what? I think I would too. He gets angry with God. And what I love about the book of Job is the most of the book is, tells the story, but then it's back and forth. His friends all trying to convince him that he must have done something wrong. And Job is saying, but I didn't do anything wrong. It doesn't make no sense. Well, this is not how God operates. And they all thought they had the right answer. But they were all wrong. And in chapter 38, God steps in. And he goes, uh, Job, let me tell you what it's like. And from 38 to 42, God begins to basically fillet Job. <laughs> and interestingly, this is amazing, he never tells Job why he's gone through it. We always want to know why. You know, we always say this, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask why. I don't know that God's going to ever tell us. He didn't tell Job. He never told Job why he suffered. But what he does, he starts saying this, Job, where were you? when I created the world. Job, where were you? And he starts talking about all the, the incredible things of creation and the cosmos. And he starts saying, where are you? And he starts to paint this picture for Job, saying, you know what, Job? Um, you don't have a clue what's going on. Job, you have absolutely no idea what really goes on in this world. And he basically says, I'm everything and you're nothing, Job. And he gets Job to understand that. And at the end of the book of Job, we find one of the greatest examples of humble acceptance to godly discipline that you'll ever see in the scriptures. Now this guy had gone through it. And now God unloads on him and disciplines him. He says, you are wrong, Job. And then in chapter 42, it talks about his response. If you want to turn with me to the book of Job. Chapter 42 it talks, this is, this is Job's humble response to God's stern correction. Starting in verse 1 of Job chapter 42, it says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Remember, from chapter 38 all the way to this point, God's been saying, Where were you? I did it all. I created everything. Who are you, Job, to be, to be criticizing me? Verse 2, then he says, And I know, this is what he's talking to God. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared, and it's interesting that verse 3 is talking about all the counselors that came around him, his three friends, who all said they had the right answer, but the knowledge was hidden. They didn't know. And they were, one, one, some translations say darkened 
counsel without knowledge. That their counsel, they gave it, it was darkened. It was dark. They didn't really, they thought they had all the answers, but they really didn't. Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand. Job talking about himself. I was talking about what I didn't know. Therefore I declared what I didn't understand about things too wonderful for me, things which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak. And I will ask you and you will instruct me. Saying, God, tell me what to do. Verse 5, And I have heard, I had heard of you by the hearing of, my, of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I retract and, in, and I repent in dust and ashes. Look in verse 4. He says, you know what? He turns to God and he says, Teach me here now and I will speak. I will ask you and you will instruct me. In verse 6, here he reveals the condition of his heart. And he says, therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. He says, you know what, God, I humbly submit before you. And then I think verse 5 is one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. Because he says, you know what, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. He's saying, that's the condition I was in before all this calamity, before you corrected me. I heard about you, I knew about you. But now my eyes have seen you. It reveals the result of his humbling himself to the correction of God. Job has an encounter with God. He goes from um, saying, I know theologically about God, to now I've seen him with my eyes. I've experienced him. Friends, and understand this, it was through this understanding of how great God is and his willingness to repent instead of justifying himself that his eyes were opened and he goes from a knowledge of God to seeing God in a new and a miraculous way. And friends, you know what? That's what happens when we respond properly to the correction of God. That's how much God loves you that he takes a situation where you blow it and he speaks to you, and if you'll respond properly, he reveals himself to a greater dimension to you. He says, I just want to bless you. And what do we normally do? We stand and we resist and we fight and we say, but, 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 God, I had a right. And he says, oh, Mark, won't you just get it right? If you'll just humble yourself and understand that I know it all and I have a plan, I'm going to open up your eyes and you're going to see me in ways you never did before. Friend, the key to the blessing was the proper response to the correction of God. And friends, this is what we need to grasp today. Because we all mess up and God corrects us. The variable in the equation is how will we respond? Will it be with stubbornness like Cain and receive the result? Sin entering into his life. It's crouching, it's waiting. He leaves a door open and sin prounces and sin wins. Oh, we respond in humble repentance like Job, who the door is open. He's been spouting off in knowledge he doesn't even understand, he says. He's been arguing with God and justifying himself, and then God speaks. He hears the correction of God, and he repents, and what happens? The door closes. He stands behind the protection of God. Satan's wanting to interject. Satan's wanting to attack. Satan has no entry point into his life. And not only that, God opens his eyes up. And he sees God in dimensions that he never saw him before. So do we want to be a Cain or do we want to be a Job? And friends, here's the way. Do we get the either one? The challenge. That the next time you feel the sense 
of the correction of God in your life. Don't try to justify yourself. But honey, you said it first or you were wrong. You always do this. Justify yourself. Don't try to justify yourself. Rather submit to the correcting hand of God. Say, God, I'm sorry. In humility, mean it. And then do what you have to do to make it right. Pick up the phone and call your boss. Take your spouse out to lunch. Go apologize to your kid. Kid, go apologize to your parent. Do what you have to do to make it right. And by doing that, you close the door on Satan and sin. Because remember, it's our response to the correction of God that either enables or disables sin's ability to master us. And God did not call us to be mastered by sin. He called us to make right choices and master sin. That's the lesson we learn from Cain. What not to do. And what we learn from Job, what to do. Friends, I want us to be a church full of Job's today. Amen?